And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live at Joy 620 or you're listening to the podcast over at InvestingHope.com, Google Play, iTunes, Podbeam, wherever podcasts are found, you can find this show. Thank you. Uh, for your support. We are grateful for that. As we continue down into 2022, there's a couple things I want to look at today. Last week, we talked about uh, some things out of Texas, some numbers that we saw that, that abortions are declining in Texas. But uh, we know that, that just because abortions decline in Texas doesn't mean that folks aren't going other places uh, to get them in other parts of the state or other parts of the country, mind you. And, and so, uh, there's there's a lot to, to unpack there. We'll look at that. We'll also look at uh, a question that, that President Biden uh, received and uh, his answer. Not great. Not a great answer. Uh, you know, it's kind of what I expected. But but, you know, it's important to, to look at these things as we talk about faith and politics and, and do they merge? Do they not merge? Do we divorce ourselves from our uh, political affiliations and political beliefs when we go in the voting booth? Do we divorce ourselves from our faith when we go in the voting booth? and um, Or when you're in the Oval Office, do you divorce yourself from your faith? And so uh, we'll look at that uh, right now. There's a piece over at National Review about that question that Joe Biden received. It says, a reporter on the South Lawn asked President Biden a rather pointed question about his support for abortion. And the question was this, why do you support abortion as a Catholic, defying church teaching? Now, one thing to point out that Joe Biden is a Catholic, Nancy Pelosi is a Catholic. There's a lot of Democrat Catholics in Washington serving in political spaces that are adamantly in favor of abortion. Now, they'll tell you things like, well, personally, I'm pro-life, and personally, I would never, but you know, politically, I am, um, I am okay with abortion. And, and the problem is, in the past, that mindset, even President Biden's mindset, was personally I'm pro-life. I do believe we need to restrict abortions at the third trimester. I do believe the Hyde Amendment needs to stay in place and federal dollars should not pay for abortion. But over the last few years, that position of Joe Biden has changed. And so now it's no abortion on demand for any reason, for anyone at any time throughout the nine months. And the government should pay for it. That's his stance. Now, so he can say that personally I believe this or that, but but politically, the statements that he is making is that he is pro-abortion. That is, that's just what we see. That's not me putting words in his mouth. That's him saying that. And so the question was, why do you support abortion as a Catholic, defying church teaching? And his answer, I'll tell you what. I don't want to get into a debate with you on theology, but you know, well, anyway, that was his answer. When the reporter made a second attempt, Biden replied, I'm not going to make a judgment for other people. That was his, that's his answer in totality. I'm not going to get into a theology discussion with you. Well, what theology are you talking about? Because theology would tell you that life begins at conception. Theology would tell you that the creator of the universe, the God, the one true God, created life. That's what theology would tell you. So if you believe that, this isn't a theology, this isn't up for debate. No, this is a political calculation, not a theology calculation. The article goes further. Throughout his long career, Biden has attempted just about every excuse in the book to explain his choice to support legal elective abortion while also 
presenting himself for communion as a practicing member of the Catholic Church, which denounces abortion in no uncertain terms as a grave moral evil. Declining to, quote, make a judgment for other people, end quote, is something of a new one. Though it's a variation on a classic defense of abortion used by those who call themselves, quote, personally pro-life or who claim the moniker pro-choice as opposed to pro-abortion. Other versions of this line include, I would never have an abortion, but I won't make that decision for others. And if you don't like abortions, don't have one. But as we're all willing to acknowledge when it comes to moral evils other than abortion, this line of thinking doesn't get you very far when it comes to debates over the law. The reporter presumably was not asking the president to pass personal judgment on women who have obtained abortions. He was asking, yet again, how Biden squares the circle of proclaiming his Catholic faith while backing unlimited legal abortion. Moreover, every law must necessarily make a judgment of some kind about what is right and what isn't, or at the very least about what is needed to keep a society running in a smooth and orderly fashion. Just as it would make little sense to demur on a question about anti-slavery laws or traffic signals by refusing to make a judgment for other people, it makes little sense for Biden to hide behind non-judgmentalism when it comes to killing unborn humans, a practice abhorred by the church, he claims. Yeah, I mean, look, when we say things like, well, it's, who is, it's far be it for me to judge the actions of someone else. You wouldn't say that with a drunk driver. If a drunk driver has a wreck and kills someone, even if he doesn't kill someone, but he injures someone, he's going to be charged. If a drunk driver has a wreck and no one's involved, he's going to be charged with driving drunk. And get a DUI. If, he, if a drunk driver doesn't even have a wreck and is pulled over and found to be drunk, he's going to be charged. Are we placing judgment on that person because they had a bad night? Are we placing judgment on that person because they had one too many? Maybe they lost their job. Maybe their wife left them. I mean, I'm... What what are we doing? Are we are we not passing judgment in that moment? Well, of course we're passing judgment, but the law says this, and so that's what we're we're doing because we got to keep a safe and orderly society. We can't have people out there driving drunk. You, you see, when when you take that argument of non judgmentalism, I'm not going to judge anybody for what they do especially when it comes to the law, well, that changes everything. Most of our laws are making judgments. Hey, you should stay within this speed limit. You shouldn't go 90 miles an hour down a, a two-lane road because you could kill somebody. So if, if we find you doing that, we're going to give you a ticket because you were putting others in danger, because... We're passing judgment in this moment that the best thing to do is not drive that fast. But what if a legislator come out and said, you know, far be it for me to say who should drive what. Far be it for me. We pass judgments every day as a, as a practice in a free society. A society that is ruled by law, we pass judgments all the time. 
We pass judgments with people. Should they keep their baby or not when it, after birth? And, and are they fit to be a parent? You know, is, is President Biden going to come out and say, well, who am I to judge? I mean, no, of course not. But for some reason, when it comes to the unborn in the womb, oh, well, well, that's not for us to speak to. And then when he gets a question that, that frankly deserves an answer. I mean, he could have said anything. He could have said anything and instead his answer was, well, I don't want to talk, get in a theology debate with you. I, well, uh, uh, well, I, uh, and nothing. The last president would stumble over words and it was, it was on every cable news outlet forever. Or George W. Bush. Oh, he's just a dumb redneck. That's what we heard all the time. And when President Biden is asked specifically about abortion, he stumbles and nothing is talked about. No mainstream outlets are saying, you know, President Biden didn't really answer that question right. Is he, is he trying not to answer questions now? No, they're not going to. Why? Because abortion for them is the one that trumps all, all laws. Abortion for them is... Women's empowerment, reproductive freedom. Don't let a baby hold you back from your goals. But see, this is why so many journalists, if there are any out there, true journalists, sometimes don't ask the hard questions because when you ask the hard questions, you don't get the answer. Or you get dismissed or you won't be called on again. Our president needs to defend his position. Even if his defense was, I think abortion is women's empowerment. I think abortion allows for women to succeed. I think abortion is the law of the land. And I think abortion uh, should be okay up to nine months. That's what I think and believe. And, and yes, my faith and my, the Catholic Church may disagree with me on that. But we're just going to have to disagree on that. He could have said that. Now, that's a, still not a great answer. But it's better than, I don't want to get into a theology debate with you. You see, when, when politicians take questions from, from reporters that they don't like, they immediately become combative. You, you see it with every politician, Democrat or Republican. You know, they, you know when a question gets under their skin by the way they answer. And President Biden is, is keeping with that trend. That question gets, got under his skin, and so he did what he did. I don't want to debate you. I'm not here to debate you as a reporter. It got under his skin. He's been asked about other things, and he does the same thing. Trump did it. Obama did it. Bush did it. Clinton did it. Reagan did it. And, and so the problem is... They're not held accountable. So what they do is they answer the questions that they like, they put them in a good light, and then they move on. A question this president needs to get, in my opinion, every day, is how come for the bulk of your career, your political career, that, that, it, that spans decades, 
for the bulk of that, you were for restrictions on abortion. For the bulk of that, you were for the Hyde Amendment. For the bulk of that, you were for federal dollars not going toward abortion. And then when you ran for president the last time and won, all of that shifted literally overnight. He was asked a question one day, and he kept his, his same posture that he's had over his entire political career, and, and he got nailed on Twitter for it. And he got drug on social media for it. And then literally the next day, his team comes out and says, oh, no, we're, we're for abortion up to nine months. Get rid of the Hyde Amendment, all of that. Abortion is the law of the land, and we need to support it. Look, I get it. I get that, that we politicians are going to change their mind. If you look back, you had Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama not that long ago. Bill Clinton, not that long ago, saying marriage was between one man and one woman. Period. Full stop. That's what they believed. That's what they said. Now, I don't know if they believed it, but that's what they said. Because why? Because they read the tea leaves. And the populace was saying that marriage was between one man and one woman. Well, then... The tides changed, and you had, I think it was Proposition 8 in California. Proposition 8 was put on the ballot, and the people of California said, no, marriage is between one man and one woman. And so then the revolution that was trying to get marriage redefined, they thought the answer was take it to the ballot box, and obviously people are going to support us. They took it to the ballot box, and they weren't supported, and so marriage was stayed between one man and one woman. Well, then the folks that were running Proposition 8 said, we got to take this to the court. They take it to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court redefines what marriage is. And then Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, and a host of Republicans come out and I think tell you what they really believe. Oh, marriage can be between man and man, woman and woman. Let's redefine marriage. The same thing has been occurring with abortion when it comes to Joe Biden. He believes it is, it is a lot better for him politically to be pro-abortion now. This isn't about conviction. This isn't about a faith system. This isn't about a belief system. This is about political expediency. And, and from a political perspective, he believes his wing of the party is going to be for abortion up to nine months. And we saw that just last week when the Senate tried to pass a bill codifying abortion at the federal level. And so this is what we know. My, my thing is they should be answering the question better. He should be honest with the citizens because he is, after all, our president. We'll talk more when we come back. As we continue the conversation today, we, we started the first uh, segment talking about uh, kind of a, a, a great question by a reporter, poor answer by the president. Uh, but, you know, we come to expect some of that, again, from all the presidents. They just sometimes they when, when they get a question that gets under their skin, they lash out or they change the subject. All politicians do that. It's frustrating. Man, wouldn't it be nice to just have a politician answer a question? Just answer it. Even if I disagree with you, if I can tell that you're being honest and transparent, then at least you're, you're, you're not pulling my leg. At least you're like being honest and transparent. Uh, and, and it seems like we, we struggle with that uh, in today's political climate. But 
I digress. As we look at what's happening out of Texas, I, I told you either last week or the week before that numbers are declining in, when it comes to abortions in Texas after the Texas law was passed. Uh, well, they're, they're now doing a study, and it's interesting, these studies come out quick because the, the abortion narrative changes. So pro-abortion folks are like, hey, we got to uh, we got to let people know their abortions are still happening. We got to keep it in the news. So over at the Hill, th- there was also a piece in New York Times talking about this, and you can find it in other places. Um, but it says two new studies suggest that abortions among Texas women fell by only 10% following the state's restrictive abortion law, with many women traveling to nearby states or buying abortion pills online. Now, again, even if that's true, falling 10% is a big deal. I mean, that's still, you know, close to 100 babies a day having their life spared. I mean, that, that's a big deal. So they say just 10%, but, but 10% when it comes to life, that's a lot. That's nothing to sneeze at. So the modest decline in abortions was less than earlier measurements suggested. The new law prohibits abortions after fetal cardiac activity. There's that phrase. Remember. They all got the memo. All the journalists got the memo. All the editors got the memo. All the large publications got the memo, especially the mainstream ones. Hey, we're not calling it a heartbeat anymore. We're calling it fetal cardiac activity because the populace, when they hear heartbeat, that humanizes the baby. That humanizes the fetus. We don't want to humanize the fetus. So we're going to call it something else, but it actually means the same thing. But we're going to change the language. And we're not going to tell anybody we're changing the language. We're just going to start writing about it. And so now when they read our articles, instead of seeing heartbeat, they're going to see fetal cardiac activity. And they're going to pick that that memo up. They're going to run with that language. Because we set the standard. And that's where we are. So you'll see that. The articles that you're going to read in New York Times and all these places, they're going to say fetal cardiac activity instead of heartbeat. Again, because all of them got the memo. One of the studies published Sunday from the University of Texas at Austin showed an average of 1,400 women per month traveled to nearby states, a 12-fold increase on out-of-state abortions compared to before the law was enacted. Those states included New Mexico, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, Kansas, Mississippi, and Colorado. The other study published uh, in Open Network last week found that an average in 1,100 women ordered abortion pills online each month. However, the study could not conclude if every order resulted in an abortion. The numbers are way bigger than we expected. It's pretty astounding, Carrie White, the principal investigator of the University of Texas Policy Evaluation Project, said of the findings. But advocates for the law say they count any reduction as a win. There's no hesitation from our side to declare this a victory for actually protecting pre-born children from elective abortion. John Sago, the legislative director of Texas Right to Life, told the Times, we're realists around here, so the best we can do is incentivize women to have their children. Now, it's interesting because there was a report that came out a couple weeks ago saying abortions declined by quite a bit in Texas. And you can go back and listen to the past show to get all the nitty-gritty and the, the numbers of that. And so we, we saw that report. Abortions declined because of this law. And then you, you hear abortion proponents and the abortion industry come out and say, how dare Texas, they're terrible, they hate women. And, and all that, you know, the, the normal stuff. Well, then there are studies that they're putting forth showing, 
Well, that 1,400 women went outside of the state to get an abortion. That 1,100 women ordered abortion pills. Now, they don't know how many of those actually turned into abortions, but, uh, but they ordered the pills via the Internet. And 1,400 women went outside the state to get abortions. They went to Colorado and Arkansas and the bordering states, Oklahoma. Now, here's the thing. We've been told for years and years and years, since, since Roe v. Wade, since 1992 and Casey versus Planned Parenthood, we've been told that if states enact legislation that restrict abortion, that women will then face a burden and not be able to get their abortion because they can't travel hours. They, they can't go visit a doctor in another state across the border of their state. They, they can't go travel outside their city or their county. They don't have the ability to do that. That's what we've been told. Well, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, it goes back to the states, and, and that is putting an undue burden on women seeking abortion. That's what we've been told. That's been the line for decades. Yet now we have the New York Times, we have the Hill, we have the Washington Post, we have all these mainstream outlets running articles this week saying actually the decline in abortions in Texas was only about 10%. That's nothing. Actually, women were still able to get abortions across the border at other, in other states and still able to order abortion pills online. Are they not refuting their own argument here? Think about that. Their argument is, if a state restricts abortion, that's putting an undue burden on a woman. So if you put it in a a piece of legislation that says you have to receive an ultrasound, well, that's an undue burden for a woman. If you you put in a, a law that says you have to wait 48 hours after that ultrasound, well, that's an undue burden. If you put in there, you can't get an abortion here, like in Texas, hey, up to, you know, you're not going to get an abortion after six weeks here in our state. You're going to have to travel somewhere else. Well, that's an undue burden. Well, if you put in laws that say you have to actually sit down with a doctor, they're going to say that's an undue burden. During COVID, what do they say? Hey, it, we got to make it easier for people to get abortions. They got to be able to get these abortion pills via the mail, telemedicine, have pharmacists be able to give it to them without a prescription from the doctor. All of these things play into their line of, of communication and their narrative has been if we restrict then that's an undue burden on women and they're not able to seek and receive the abortions that they so desperately want. That's what we've been told. That's been the message from D.C. That's been the message from the abortion industry. That's been the message from every liberal Democrat. That's been the message from everyone. If you overturn Roe and it goes back to the states, that's an undue burden for women. And the women of Tennessee or the women of Texas or the women of Florida or the women of Georgia or the women of Alabama will not be able to receive the abortions that they so desperately need and want. That's what we've been told. Yet this week, we're seeing articles that say Texas has the most restrictive abortion legislation in the country. When it was passed, all heck broke loose, and it's a terrible thing, and they hate women, and women are going to be pushed back decades because of this law. Yet, this week, they're writing articles, New York Times doing a study, where they literally say, 
the number that was declined in abortion was just 10%, and that's minuscule. Women were still able to get abortions by going to another state. Women were still able to get abortions by getting abortion pills in the mail from the Internet. So if I'm a justice on the Supreme Court, and I'm looking at the abortion proponents' arguments at the moment, might one argue now that, well, is it not an, it's not an undue burden? The abortion number only dropped 10%. That's your, your study. That's your numbers. And you yourself on the abortion industry said that 10% number is nothing, not near what we thought it was going to be. So clearly it's not an undue burden. Clearly women can still get the abortion you so desperately want them to get. So they've flipped the argument and refuted themselves. I mean, it's what we all knew, but now they're saying it out loud. We'll be back. So I want to stay there for a second. I want to, I want to kind of walk you through the way this, this works. So, so the argument has always been from the abortion industry, the undue burden, right? We, we've heard that. We, we've heard uh, that, that if you restrict abortion in any state, in any municipality, in, in any way, that that puts an undue burden on women and they're not able to get the abortion that they need or want. And, and again, I know abortion is not a need, but that's the language, right? So they would argue that it's a need. Uh, I would argue that it's a want. I mean, the vast majority of abortions are done out of uh, convenience, not out of uh, you know, health or anything like that. But that's been the argument. So, so if I may, let me put, put on my, my, my marketing cap for a second. If, if I'm doing marketing for the abortion industry, and I saw the first numbers that came out out of Texas saying that there was like a, a 60% drop or, or something to that effect in abortions in the state of Texas, I'm running with that. I'm running with that because I'm saying, look, this is what happens when legislation is passed to restrict abortion, this harms women. That's, that's, that's what you would expect them to say. You would expect them to say, this is harming women. This is not good. This is setting women back decades. This is an attack on reproductive freedom. Like That's what I would, I would expect, because what that does is in that, you look at those numbers, and, 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 and then you say, now I'm going to take that to the courts. And I'm going to say, see, we've been telling you since Roe v. Wade, we've been telling you since 1992 that there's an undue burden. When these restrictions are allowed in states, there's an undue burden. But instead, they can't help themselves. Instead, they dig a little deeper. And they go, actually, the, the decrease in abortions in the state of Texas is only 10% when you look at how many women left the state to get an abortion. When you look at how many women ordered abortion pills on the Internet, the decrease wasn't near what we thought it was. Yeah, they're not getting abortions in the state of Texas, but they're still getting their abortions. So what you saw was bordering states of Texas probably saw an increase in abortion numbers. Now, why am I pointing this out? I'm pointing this out because 
their argument has been that, that restricting abortion at a state level creates an undue burden. But what, what they just proved with their own numbers is it, it really didn't. Now, as a pro-lifer, we're saying that in the state of Texas, abortion did decre- decrease. That the Texas, uh, the, the people living in Texas are not getting the abortions. Now, those people may be driving to another state, but from a, from a state-level perspective, the state of Texas is arguing this legislation worked because you can't get the abortion in the state of Texas. You're going to have to go find your way of getting that abortion at another state or in another, another way, whether it be the Internet or, or driving to another state. And, and pro-lifers are saying whether it's 10% or 60% decline, whatever that decline is, it's a decline and that's a positive thing. Now, what we know is Florida and some other states are taking the lead of Texas and are passing legislation. What we also know, depending on the, the judgment by the Supreme Court when it comes to Dobbs out of Mississippi, other states are waiting for that judgment to see what kind of law is going to be put in place. Or you have a state like Tennessee that says, we'll wait for that judgment because if they overturn Roe, the trigger law takes effect and abortion is no more in the state of Tennessee. And so would you agree with me that the undue burden argument is no longer defendable? In Texas, I mean, we didn't really know what the Texas law was going to allow us to do. But Texas has now become kind of the pilot project. Hey, we pass this law, we take the state out of it, we make it where citizens can sue abortion doctors, and we make it retroactive. So if the courts put, it, put a stay on it, that, that you can go back retroactively and sue abortion doctors for every abortion they perform. And, and what we found was abortion doctors going, I don't want to perform abortions in the state of Texas because I don't know what that's going to look like. I, I can't afford it. They'll bankrupt me if they, if they sue me per abortion. And so Texas becomes the pilot project. The numbers that came out a couple weeks ago made it look as if the decline in abortions were, were drastic. And in the state of Texas, they were. But then now this new study comes out and says, actually, 1,400 women left the state to get an abortion. Now, that's not something we should celebrate. But what it does show from a political perspective, if you're looking at it from a 30,000 feet view, what it does show is the undue burden, the burden of having to drive across state lines, the burden of having to go a little bit extra to find that abortion and get that abortion isn't really a burden. 1,400 women drove across state lines. 1,100 women got abortion pills via the mail. And at the same time, Texas, as a state, saw less abortions. Because this is how the system was created to work. Now, I don't want to see states allow abortion all the way up to nine months. I don't want to see that. But I do believe in states' rights. And I do believe in a state saying abortion is not going to be done within the borders of our state. 
And what that means is you're going to have states like California, like New York, that say the opposite, that abortions will be done in the, in the borders of our state, within the borders of our state, and we'll do them all the way up to nine months. Now, again, that doesn't make me happy. But, but this argument is if, if, if Roe is overturned, that, uh, that abortion stops immediately, that is nonsensical. Doesn't happen. Not true. Maybe within a few states. But not across the union, that's for sure. So again, as I've said on here multiple times, as, as blue states, your left-leaning states, your pro-abortion states, start passing legislation to allow for abortion up to nine months. Of course, your conservative, right-leaning, pro-life states are going to do the opposite. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? And I say the same thing to pro-lifers. If we're doing this in the state of Tennessee and other conservative states, then of course the left-leaning blue pro-abortion states are going to do it the other way. That shouldn't come as any surprise. So, so if Roe is overturned, our work doesn't stop. We still have women to serve. So the question for pro-lifers now is, if 1,400 women were leaving our state in Texas to seek abortions, how do we reach those 1,400 women? How do we reach them with truth about life? How do we reach them with the gospel? How do we reach them with medical care? How do we intervene so they don't drive across state lines to, to end the life of their child? That's the question that we now have to answer as pro-lifers. 10% is great. I love seeing a, a, a 10% decrease in abortions. But now we have to shift and go, how do we reach the 1,400 that drove across state lines? How do we reach the 1,100 that were getting the abortion pills via the Internet? How do we reach them? How do we reach a new generation coming up that, that has seen their, their brothers and sisters on ultrasound image grow up right in front of their eyes? How do we reach them to tell them that abortion is a travesty? How do we do that? That becomes our focus. Because I'm telling you, folks, I believe Roe is going to be overturned. I do. In my lifetime and maybe in the next few months, I think all the writing is on the wall that the judges are going to, going to rule in our favor and in the favor of Mississippi. But that doesn't mean abortion goes away. That doesn't mean we can just go, yay, yay, and sit back and do nothing. No, we, we definitely celebrate, no doubt. No doubt we celebrate that. We, we've been waiting for that day since 1973. But it doesn't mean our work is done. And so this is an opportunity right now when we see these studies and these, these numbers come out to say, see, I told you. you you're, you're making the undue burden argument, but there is no undue burden. Your numbers show it. Your studies show it. That women were still able to go get the abortion in other states. So, so as, as, as pro-abortion folks, you, you kind of beat yourself in those studies. Your narrative kind of goes empty, falls empty, 
When you go, well, actually, the decrease in Texas was only 10%. Actually, 1,400 women were able to go across the state line to get an abortion. So, so you have made your argument an empty one. And now pro-lifers, what we have to do is say, okay, how do we reach those 1,400 women that went across the state line? How do we reach them? How do we keep them in our state? How do we show them another way? How do we care for them? We're not going to catch all of them. We're not going to reach all of them. We're not going to change all of their minds. But are we making the effort? Now that we know, at least in Texas, if we trust these numbers, we know 1,400 women went across state lines to get an abortion. How are we reaching them? How are we reaching them with our marketing? How are we reaching them with our comments, with our care, with our service? That's the question we have to answer. We'll be back. As we finish up today, look, these are important things that, that I don't think enough folks are talking about. And when it comes to legislation, when it comes to rule of law, when it comes to abortion and the abortion lobby and the comments that are made and, and Supreme Court decisions and, and all the like, we have to keep a calm head and, and be able to read through what they're saying and go, okay, well, that changes things. So if I'm in Texas, I'm going, the, the piece of legislation that we passed is working. In terms of abortions in the state of Texas, we saw a dramatic decrease. And now if I'm Texas, I'm going, okay, these new numbers that are coming out, it still shows that we decreased abortion in totality by 10%. But yes, there are 1,400 women that went across state lines. There are 1,100 women that received abortion pills. We're not real sure how many of those 1,100 had an abortion, though. But we do know 1,400 left the state to go get an abortion in another state. So now if I'm Texas, I'm going, okay, we saw a 10% decline in totality, about 60 or 70% decline within the state lines. That's a win. But how now do we pivot and, and, and reach those that are seeking abortion outside of our state. How do we do that? And there's a number of things that come with that, whether it be marketing, so people know that there are pregnancy centers around to serve, whether it be adding services to our current list of services, whether it be uh, raising more money to, to stand in for women that, that are in need of funds to have their baby, whether it be providing car seats and pack and plays and diapers and wipes or, or homes or OB care or support or, hey, they're, they're addicted to, to a drug and we need to get them in a high risk situation with, a, with an OB that's going to take care of them. These are the things that now we have to start thinking about and talking about. Because this is just the beginning. The decision that comes out of Dobbs here in the next couple months is either going, going to dismantle Roe completely or at the very least dismantle Casey in Planned Parenthood in 1992. But something major is going to happen. I believe. Now, now granted, they could they could disagree with Mississippi and keep everything in the, the way it currently is. I don't believe that's going to happen. With the way they have decided not to address Texas, I believe the writing is on the wall that we're going to see a major shift when it comes to abortion. I just do. 
Now the question is, what's the pro-life movement going to do with that new climate? What are legislatures going to do with that new climate? We already know what Washington wants to do, and what they want to do is codify abortion in a federal law. Now, if, if that were to ever happen, which I, they don't have the votes to do it currently, I think the midterms are going to go uh, in, a, in a red tsunami. And so they definitely won't have the votes over the next you know, five to ten years. But that doesn't mean that it isn't going to come at some point. And so as, as we're thinking as a, as a pro-life uh, group about next steps, do we open homes? Do we provide OB care? Do we, uh, do we add services to our list? How are we reaching women that are in need? You better believe the abortion side is going to be getting creative. Something to be looking for, just like pregnancy centers have mobile units, you better believe abortion industry is going to have mobile units. They're going to meet people at state lines, and they're going to provide those abortions on those mobile units. That's coming, folks. Just like we saw during the pandemic and ease of getting abortion pills in the mail, the abortion industry, they make billions of dollars off of abortion. You think they're just going to fold in and, and close their doors and go away? Some will. But most are going to dig their heels in and they're going to get creative. And just like the pregnancy center movement has mobile units, you, you better believe the abortion industry is going that direction. Mark my word. So, so as we think through this, we have to provide better services. We have to be so excellent in what we do. So excellent in what we do that when they see the difference, when they see the dichotomy of the abortion industry and the pregnancy center movement, they go, it's a no-brainer. I am loved and cared for and served better in the pregnancy center than I am in the abortion industry. Are we doing that? That's the focus moving forward. Let's get after it. We'll talk to you next week.